Today, we will continue our series on Connected, Connecting with God and Others. Thank you for joining us. If you've got your Bible, you can open to the book of Daniel. That's where we will land here very shortly. Let me say this. We're living in unprecedented times. And as we look around us, the amount of chaos, the amount of corruption and confusion for many of us is kind of blatant. And for many of us, it's, it's, it's at a new high, new levels right now of what we are experiencing. Insanity and craziness has almost become the daily theme. You, you, if you're like me, you're scratching your head a lot. And you're asking the question, who can I trust? And what is true? And what is the real narrative? Because things continue to shift so much, right? And media has created such madness in our culture. And fear appears to be the storyline. Those in high places of leadership appear totally disillusioned and disturbed. And questions like, are we living in the last days? Is the Antichrist among us? Is Jesus about to return? Am I really ready to meet the Lord? These are questions I believe all of us have been kind of struggling through. And then we struggle with how do I navigate through these unsettling waters? How do I glorify God? How do I live in this world and, and not become part of the world system? Anybody in here ask those questions over the last weeks, over the last months? It got me thinking, I'm like, how did we get here? How did we get to where we're at now? Why has there been such an erosion? What led to the deterioration around us today? And this is even before I get into Daniel, but I want you to think about this. It starts with questioning God. It starts with questioning God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan looks at Adam and Eve and said, did God really say you're not two? And, 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 and that is the culture in which we live. Just question God, question truth, question moral absolutes, question objective reasoning that comes from God. Just question God. And if you start to question God, it's going to lead to ignoring God. Romans chapter 1 says they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them, but they wouldn't worship him or give thanks to him as God. The result, their minds became dark, confused, and claiming to be wise. Instead, they became fools. That's the culture in which we live. The fool has said it in his heart, there is no God. I don't need God. And that's the day in which we find ourselves living. Hey, 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 we don't need God. We know more than God. We can do better than God. And we're living in a day of darkness and deception, and there's so much disruption, and there's so many fools around us. That's what he said. Instead, they became fools. Man, we live in a foolish day, in a foolish age. You question God, you ignore God, and it's going to lead to the rejection of God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, Israel became fat and unruly. They abandoned the God that made them. They neglected and forgot about the God who had given them birth. 
And that is our culture. We are going to eliminate God. We're going to eliminate prayer. We're going to eliminate the Ten Commandments from being anywhere. As a nation, this is where we're at. We're a nation that has rejected God. And we're expecting the blessings of God and the favor of God and the anointing of God. While at the same time, we've said, no, we're going to reject you. We're going to abandon you. We've neglected you. We've forgotten you. We are better off without you. And for so many, that's the position that they have. When you question and you ignore and you reject, it will lead to the elimination of God. Romans chapter 1, 28 and 29 says, Since they thought it was foolish even to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking. And he let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin, murder, and malicious behavior. Does that sound like America 2021? Does that sound like the nation that you're living in? That is the world in which we find ourselves existing in right now. It is question, ignore, reject, eliminate. And we find ourselves right now living with ruins and devastation because God is not being worshiped in this country. God is not being pursued. And the lordship in the name of Jesus Christ is being ignored by the masses. And I can tell you this, even before I get into this study, I've never looked to the White House for theology, but we do need healthy leadership there. And we need healthy, strong bold, prophetic voices in the pulpit today like never before. We need people willing to stand on God's word, stand on truth, and will not back down. Because as I look around me, I see wickedness, I see sin, I see murder, I see malicious behavior. And when you ignore and reject and eliminate God, you're left with one conclusion. You must become your own small G God and call the shots. And we're terrible gods. We're terrible masters. We're, we're terrible. That's an intro before I get into the book of Daniel. You've got to ask the question, does God offer us any insight? And if he does, what does he have to say? Again, the book of Daniel. Let me give you a little backdrop on that. The nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, had rebelled against God, and they had rejected and ignored God. And God had allowed this rude, brutal, nasty, violent, cruel king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to come in and take Judah hostage. That's what we're dealing with when you look at the book of Daniel and the way that it's laid out. And he was a very powerful guy, Nebuchadnezzar was, but he was ruthless. He was, he was nasty. He was brutal. He was ungodly at the core of who he was. He was a narcissist. He was so in love with himself that he created this gold stature of himself and mandated that the people bow down and worship him. Judah rebels against God and God allows, God allows. Read Daniel Chapter 1, verse 2, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and besiege Jerusalem and Judah. 
And I believe that God has allowed certain things to take place in this nation today and over the years because of the rebellion that exists inside this nation. That's the backdrop. Now get the picture. You've got these, uh, these four Hebrew boys that we get introduced to. They're teenage guys. And when you look at their narrative, they're, they're very sharp-looking guys. They all were very uh, intellectually savvy, if you will. They came from uh, some of the best families of, of Judah. And just at a moment, bam, they're snatched up, removed from Jerusalem, taken out of Judah, and they're taken over into Babylon. They're taken into captivity. They're taken into a foreign pagan nation just like that. Just like that, they were gone. And I can tell you, they were not familiar with the harsh, ill treatment that they were about to encounter once they got to Babylon. The book of Daniel highlights, if you will, three difficult times of testing. In chapter 1, is when they arrive in Babylon. Chapter three is when they're tossed into the fiery furnace. And then in chapter six is when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. There's three major tests that, that goes down here with these guys. And I can tell you, Daniel and his friends experience God's victory in every test and every trial. But the first test that they went through was foundational for all the other things they would encounter. You need to pay attention to this. Now, let me give you just a basic observation again with Daniel and his, uh, and his three guys, friends here, that, that are highlighted. They were physically strong and handsome-looking guys. You look at the physical, the mental, the spiritual, and the social. Physically, they were handsome. They were sharp-looking guys. Mentally, these guys were at the top of the list. I'm talking about top ACT, SAT, I mean GPA, you name it. These guys were well-educated when it came to the mental. When you look at the spiritual, these guys had relentless devotion to their Lord. They were passionate about worshiping and honoring God. And then when you look at the social, they were well-adapt and they were well-liked by other people. They knew how to navigate. And I think that's what we're trying to train up in this next generation of teenagers as well as adults. People that would be physically, mentally, spiritually, and socially able to stand strong in the midst of the currents that are going on in our culture today. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for my grandkids. And so that's a little backdrop, if you will. Daniel and these guys, they were sharp. But they were about to go through the fire, and they were about to be tested like never before. I will give you a premise statement, and I believe this with all my heart. Faith that has never been tested cannot be trusted. God allows our faith to go through the fire. And a lot of times we're really uh, asking God to remove us from the trials and, and from the flames and from the turmoil around us. But God knows that we've got to go through it if he's going to build our faith up. Faith that has never been tested cannot be trusted. Why do you say that? Because we're all going to face trials. We're all going to face adversity. You can count on that. And I can promise you that Satan is going to do everything he can to get you to conform to this world. But God wants to transform us. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
But the sad thing is, even for so many people in the church and people that call themselves believers and followers of Jesus, what we've seen happen is they start to give into the world. They start to cave into the world. And when they do that, they lose the power of the dunamis of, of the Holy Spirit inside of them. They start to lose their joy. They start to lose their testimony. And I want to speak over you today and tell you, in Jesus' name, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Keep putting on the full armor of God, because this is a battleground in which we find ourselves existing today. We've got to stay strong. We've got to be stronger, Ronnie, than we've ever, ever been. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered to bring to the palace, some of the young men of Judah's royal family who had been brought to Babylon as captives, as captives against their will. Now, I want you to bring some of the young men of royal uh, family from Judah here, and here are the qualifications. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning. Make sure they're gifted Make sure they have incredible knowledge and good sense. And make sure they have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. Listen to this. Teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them the best food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for a three-year period. And then some of them would be made advisors in his royal court. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief official renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Listen to this. These dudes have been uprooted. These dudes have been taken against their will and now they find themselves, I'm going to give you four observations just right here. One, they find themselves in a new location. Geographically, they were in a different spot. They were no longer being influenced by the things of God that were in Jerusalem. They've been uprooted. They no longer have the influence of their godly parents or being able to go uh, to, to study underneath a rabbi. They've been uprooted. They now find themselves in Babylon in captivity against their will. I want you to think about something. Let me make some, some observations even as you look at the life of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They changed their location, changed their environment. Over the last 20 months, the world has tried to change your environment. They've tried to lock you down. You can't get out of your house. You've got to stay at home. You've got to cover your face where nobody can see who you are. You can't go to restaurants. We're going to lock down churches. We're going to eliminate the possibility of school. And so what Daniel went through in a new location was a major environment change. And there's so many of us that have found ourselves like losing our mind. The amount of people going in for counseling right now, I mean, it continues to soar. How do I cope with all this? 
And just like Daniel experienced a new location and a new environment, that's what we've seen on a smaller scale. We're going to lock you down. We're going to shut you up. We're going to shut you down. You can't go anywhere. Bam. Sound familiar, huh? I'll never forget, Jeff, when Benji went off to college, kind of like that new location thing. Here he was, our our oldest son, man, and he's about to head off to college. And I started thinking, hmm, who's influencing my boy? What are going to be his playgrounds? Where he's going to be hanging out at? Who's going to be his playmates? What kind of dudes is he going to be running in, uh, running with? I'm like, man, what are they going to be teaching up there at that school? What are they going to be drinking up there at that school? And I remember hitting my knees going, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in my son. Or he's in a new place, new environment, and he thinks he has freedoms like never before. But I can tell you this, and here's another premise statement. Where I am does not determine who I am. Hey, you're in a new place. We're going to do this. Where I am will never determine who I am. And people oftentimes try to leverage that. So they change their place, if you will, geographically. They got a new location. The second thing they do is they start to change their education. So it goes from location to education. And basically, here's, here's, here's the rub. Their Jewish wisdom and all of the Torah training that they had been brought up in, these guys are probably 13 to 16 years old, they're about. I mean, all of that, when Nebuchadnezzar gets his hands on, the, on those guys, he's like, that's going to take a back shelf. And from now on, it's going to be Chaldean literature. It's going to be the Babylonian literature that you're going to learn. You're going to learn Babylonian pagan knowledge and the wisdom of God has got to go on the back shelf. What was happening? They were being brainwashed. They were being brainwashed and brainwashing is nothing more than thought reform and mind control. And and that's part of the culture. I'll get to that. But but when you you see some... A, a, a person trying to brainwash others, what they're trying to do is they're trying to shape that person's beliefs and attitude and personality, and they will use manipulation and intimidation and humiliation and, come on, deception and everything else. We're, we're, we're going to use intimidation, manipulation. We're, we're going to humiliate you We're going to change your literature. Oh, how we've witnessed censorship. We're going to lock you down and we're going to shut the door and we're going to control what narratives come your way. Sound familiar? It's the culture in which we find ourselves living. And I believe Daniel offers us so much insight and so much hope on how do we glorify God? How do we live in this world and not be of it? And I will tell you this. You've got to stop and ask, all right, who really is educating me? Who or what controls my thinking? What do you read? Who do you listen to? What sources are you watching? And I would tell you, be careful where you get your information. We need to know what's happening in the world. 
But for many of us, we're like, so who can you trust with legit information? We need to know what's happening. I will tell you this. Daniel learned the Chaldean literature and the Babylonian literature better than even the Babylonians learned it. He, he knew it. This dude was sharp. He didn't put his God stuff on the back shelf. His God stuff was his foundation that he was living his life from. But he learned the Babylonian literature better than the Babylonians. What, 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 what should that say to us? We should listen to the arguments that the world is presenting. And it doesn't matter if it's the media it doesn't matter if it's the CDC. It doesn't matter if it's the, HW, uh, the WHO. It doesn't matter. We should know their arguments better than they know their arguments. we got to. That's the day in which we're living. If we're going to be able to sanctify Christ as Lord in our lives and to be able to give a, an answer for the hope that we have within us, yet do it with reverence toward God and gentleness toward others, we've got to know the arguments of the world. Come on. This, you do not know how much I've labored over this message here. You don't have any clue of how much I've struggled with this because we're living in crucial times. This could be the end times. We could be the people of God that get to see the return of Christ. We could be a part of that last remnant that gets to share the gospel with the world. We desperately got to know the truth of God. The third thing was they're trying to change their diet. And for the next three years, they were supposed to eat the king's diet. And when it came to eating the king's diet, this was contrary to dietary laws, if you will, of the Jewish people. Don't miss this. To eat this food offered to idols would be blaspheming God. Can I tell you something? He comes in, we're going to change your location. You don't see Daniel balking. You'll see him balking. All right, we're going to Babylon. We're, we're going to change your literature. You don't see Daniel balking. All right, I'll learn your literature. We're going to change your diet. Bam! Line drawn in the dirt. What I put in my body, it's the only time Daniel draws the line. What I put in my body, that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been bought with a price. I've got to glorify God with my body. And you're wanting me to put foreign things into my body. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's where I draw the line. And you can make your own application with whatever, but I can tell you whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And you've got to ask that question, Tim. Does this glorify God? And again, the elimination of choice is one of my biggest frustrations today when people are trying to eliminate choice. It's like, stop. New location. New education, the new diet, then we're going to change your names. 
We're going to change your name because the world does not like to recognize the name of the Lord. And every one of these guys had the name of the Lord in their name. Da da Daniel! Oh, yeah, my name means God is my judge. Oh, that, that's what your name means? Yeah, no man has it. Oh, man, my name is my identity. My, my name is my mission. My name is, yeah, my, that, that's my name. That's who I am. That's, that's my ID. That's my, that's my core. You're, you're, God is your judge? Oh, yeah, God, God is my judge. We're going to change your name to Belteshazzar, which means Bell, pagan god, Bell, protect his life. That's not his name. Hey, we're going to change your name, Hananiah. Oh, no, no, no. My name means Jehovah is gracious. That's my name. My God is a gracious God. We're going to change your name to Shadrach, which means the command of some pagan moon god. That's not my name. Oh, we're going to change your name, Israel. Oh, no. My name means who is like my God. We're going to change your name to uh, Meshach, uh, who is like a coup, another heathen god. Azariah, oh, my name means Jehovah is my helper. Can you imagine these four dudes? God is my judge. Oh, my Jehovah is so gracious. Who, who's like our God? Jehovah is my helper. Everything they went through, their name and their identity drove who they were. And the Babylonians had hoped that changing their names would make them forget about their God. And they hoped that changing their names would cause these guys to kind of crumble and become more like the heathens they were studying with. But it didn't, because their name was their identity. Here's another premise for you. As you study the book of Daniel, they didn't bend, they didn't bow, and they didn't burn. They stayed strong in the Lord. And they were motivated to honor and obey and glorify God. And I started thinking that godly motivation is that something deep down inside of us, fueled by the person of the Holy Spirit, that drives us and moves us and compels us to be the best that we can be for the glory of God. Oh, that dude's motivated. He's inspired. So he's, he's compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you look at these guys... They, they, they didn't crumble. What motivates you? Who's your authority? Because it's easy in our culture to be motivated by popularity or praise or prominence or you name it. Oh, that, that, that motivates me. That's shallow. Some people are motivated by money and materialism. Others are motivated by image. But I can tell you, we have to be motivated by the power of the gospel and who we are in Christ. We've got to find our motivation in Jesus and Jesus only. We've got to be motivated, each and every one of us. Stacey, we've got to be motivated to know God, to honor God, to obey God no matter what. Let me give you four observations from the book of Daniel. The first observation would be this. Honoring God is not always easy, but it's always worth it. I can promise you this, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to try to change you guys physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, emotionally. We're going to try to jack with you. Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, but 
Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. And God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel. Daniel made up his mind. He resolved in his heart, I'm going to follow, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to submit to my God. And in the process, listen to me, he refused to compromise because his commitment was resolved. The reason a lot of people end up compromising is they have not made that resolve and commitment. But once you anchor deep, you go, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And God desires for us to worship, worship him only. And that was Daniel. If you study his life, man, he continued to press into the Lord. Again, these guys are 13 to 16, 17 years old. I mean, these guys were like, no, man, I'm going to honor God. I'm willing to die for my faith. That's where they landed. And, and if we don't make a strong stance for truth, we'll end up caving in to anything that comes our way. It's so easy when we don't know truth to cave and follow and to become captive to whatever argument is being made. You've got you've to make up your mind today. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to yield my life to Christ. I'm repenting. I'm surrendering completely. Here's another premise statement. Your focus will determine your freedom. Whatever you focus on is going to determine whether you're free or in chains. There's this photo I saw of Daniel, this picture, if you will, even after he's thrown into the lion's den. And there's this window with these bars there, and these lions are all around Daniel, and he's standing there just looking out the window toward the heavens. He, he was not fixated on the lions around him. He was fixated, my God, you made me, you redeemed me, I will be here as long as you want me to. My focus is not going to be on these potential problems. My focus is going to be on you. Your focus will determine your freedom. Let me say it again. Honoring God is not always easy, but it is always worth it. Second observation from Daniel would be this. We do not have to compromise our values. You don't have to compromise. Throughout history, go back and study it. Old Testament, New Testament, study it. God's people have always found themselves in cultures where they were the minority the people of God, the people that really chase after the heart of God and follow God, they've always found themselves as being the minority. That's just the truth right there. And, and, and they had to choose, am I going to be faithful to God or am I going to cave into the pressures of man? And we don't have to fear any administration you, you look at the, the satraps and the administration and the different things that are mentioned in the book of Daniel. Daniel was not afraid of that administration. Why? Do you fear the administration of, no, God is with me. God made me. God will lead me. And when God says, Timmy, give me back my breath, I'm giving God back his breath. I don't fear man. I fear God. That's what we got to get as, as, a, as a people of God. We, we've got to land there. Daniel, what'd you do? I sought God. I sought God's hand. I 
I sought favor from God, and God led you. Yes, Lord, I need you to, to lead me in this area right now. God honored these guys' faith. When you studied, hey, here's what you're going to eat. No, no, no. Give us water and veggies for the next 10 days. Check us out. Man, these dudes were more handsome, more strong. They were more alive, more vibrant because they didn't put the junk in their system. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. I would memorize that verse. When a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even your enemies be at peace. Does it take faith? Does it take courage to stand against the, the ebbs and flows and the currents that we're facing? Yeah, and we're not to do it arrogantly and we're not to do it mean, but we're to stand in the name of the Lord. That's your assignment today. That's my assignment. It's like you got to refuse to compromise. And the word compromise is when we make accommodations for other people that do not agree with an established set of standards. That's compromise. It's when we go, all right, we're going to negotiate with you even though you don't agree. You see, the quest for peace often leads to negotiated slain truth. And compromise is a death word. Hey, man, we need to compromise. Hey, I need you to meet me halfway. Meet me in the middle. The person who says meet me halfway is a poor judge of distance anyway. Gandhi made this statement. He said all compromise is based on give and take, but there can be no give and take on fundamentals. Any compromise on mere fundamentals is surrender, for it is all give and no take. Let's compromise. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to negotiate God's word. Hey, you don't have to. Third observation, God can use you no matter where you are. And I think a lot of times we're, we're waiting for that right place or that right opportunity. I can tell you this, God can use you no matter where you are. Daniel was in a different culture, different language, different lifestyle. I mean, everything around him was different. And I'm like, Daniel, did you ever question God? Did you ever like go, oh God, what's going on here? Why do you have me here? Have you left me? Or these people won't listen, they don't work. He probably did have some struggles. You and I have struggles. You and I, we, we've struggled over the last, I mean, we've struggled our entire life, to be honest with you, but these last 20 months, we found ourselves struggling. How do I glorify God in the midst of this? How do I love my neighbor? How do I pray for those that persecute me? How do I, right? And I think for a lot of people, they're like, man, I just want to tap out and call it a day. But what God is asking you to do today can change the rest of your life. Hey, Daniel, it's going to radically change the rest of your life. I'm the one that allowed Nebi to come in. Oh, you did? I'm the one that allowed him to take y'all captive back to Babylon. Oh, you did? My theology is the sovereignty of God will always trump the free will of man. 
Hey, what God is asking you to do today can alter the rest of your life. And God may be wanting to use you to change a nation, to change a generation, to, to change a community, to change a bloodline. I get to do that? Yes. I'll never forget that. Like, like I was struggling through all this generational stuff, and I'm like, man, my great-great-granddaddy, I mean, he was constantly messing around with women and my great grandpa was and my papa was. Daddy broke the chain, but I was like, no, that's not gonna revisit. Not this generation. The blood of Jesus has performed a, a miraculous transfusion and that old corrupt cash bloodline has got to go. We're about to reshape a new generation. We're about to do it different. And God has you wherever you are today. And, and, and for so many people, it's like, well, God could use me a lot better if I was filling the blank. If I was in a different job or not in this relationship or in a different church or really, God wants you to redeem the space that you're in right now. It is so easy to gripe at the assignments that God gives us. Oh, I don't like this assignment. Hey, let me do my work in and through you. I can use you wherever I have you. Come on. This, 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 this is a contemplative room in here today. I know I took off not like a 747, but more like a Lear right out of the gate, baby. We were going wheels up quick. I understand that, but it's such a... This message is weighed on me. It really has. Fourth principle, you've got to have the courage to live out your convictions. You've you got to have the courage to, to, to live out your faith and your true beliefs with convictions. I mean, read Daniel 6 later as well. Daniel proved himself more capable than all the others because of his great ability. The king, Nebi, had made plans to place him over the entire empire. The other administrators and officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. This phrase right here I love. He was faithful. He was honest. Always responsible and completely trustworthy. I'm like, Lord, that's what I aspire. I want to be faithful, honest, always responsible and completely trustworthy. They got together and huddled up and said, hey man, our only chance of accusing Daniel will be in connection with his worship to his God. So they went to the king and said, you should make it a law that for the next 30 days that any person who prays to anyone except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. Sign this law so that it cannot be changed. Verse 10 Verse 10, verse 10, woo, this is so good. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he always had, giving thanks to God. 
Hey, hey, if you do this, you're going to face the music. I hear you. But my allegiance is to the Lord. Just as he always had. I love that phrase there. Hey, Daniel, what are you going to do? Oh, man, business as usual. I worship God. I'm committed. Morning, noon, and night, I'm on my knees giving thanks. My God is good. My God is faithful. Oh, God is my judge. That's my name. I'm like, that's, that's right. He did not allow his circumstances to control him. He overcame the brutal circumstances that he found himself in. You go, how did he do it? His how was, I'm just going to stay faithful to God. I'm not going to turn right. I'm not going to turn left. I'm just going to stay faithful to God. And Daniel had such an amazing impact in his world. Even the king felt bad after he signed that thing. Oh, I don't want to mess with that dude. He's the sharpest one I've got. Yeah, but you signed it. I don't want anything happening to him. And you, you, you ain't going to be rude when living out your faith. You, you ain't going to be condescending and harsh and arrogant. Just live it out. Amen. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Daniel, you didn't compromise? No, didn't have to. Wrap you up with this. Daniel was a man of competence. He was a man of character. And he was a man of courage. And I've thought about this. When you live a life of competence unto the Lord with high character and you live a life of courage, it allows you the capacity to influence others consistently. When, when your character starts to get stained and you start to compromise, and when you violate things that absolutely shatter the integrity of your story, people look and go, hmm, which person am I getting today? But when you're competent with high character and incredible courage into the Lord, it gives you the opportunity to consistently influence others. Here's part of the close. Nick Slade and I were talking about this recently, and he made a great observation. He said, I wonder if we would still celebrate the story of Daniel if he would have been devoured and mauled and we laughed. And I said, well, it wouldn't make a cute little kid's church story, would it? But this story is not powerful because of the outcome. It's not powerful because a fourth man shows up in the fire. It's not powerful that God had shut the mouths of the lions. It's powerful because of their courage to obey God no matter what. When I study this, I'm not focused on the outcome. I'm focused on their resolve, their obedience, their commitment to honor God. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand. Listen to what he said. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Hey, hey for whatever it's worth, 
Our God is able. Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is my helper who is like our God. But even if he decides we're supposed to die, we're going to die. But we're not bowing to that. That's what fires me up about the book of Daniel. It's not the outcome. It's the resolve. And I believe that we have to stay passionate about the process and not get attached to some outcome. When you're passionate about obeying and honoring the Lord now, just just do it now. Watch God work. 